This is an All Ears English podcast episode 2025, How Global Business is Finally Understanding Neurodiversity with author Ed Thompson. Welcome to the All Ears English podcast downloaded more than 200 million times. We believe in connection, not perfection with your American host, Lindsay McMahon, and today's featured guest coming to you from Denver, Colorado, USA. To get real-time transcripts right on your phone and create your personalized vocabulary list, try the All Ears English app for iOS and Android. Start your seven-day free trial at allearsenglish.com forward slash app. What is neurodiversity and how are global companies thinking about it to build more productive teams and happier employees? Listen in today to get tips from the forefront of a major global business shift and how we think about the human mind. This podcast is sponsored by Indeed. As a business owner myself, I've learned that the most important key to success is having a great team, but it can be time consuming reading through tons of resumes. Need to hire a great candidate at your company? Why not eliminate the busy work? Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so that you can connect with candidates faster. Just in the minute that I've been talking to you, 23 hires were made on Indeed, according to Indeed data worldwide. So join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash A-E-E. Just go to Indeed.com slash A-E-E right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. I-N-D-E-E-D dot com slash A-E-E. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, Ed. Good afternoon. Welcome to the show. How are you today? Doing well. Thank you for having me. Excellent. I'm excited to have you today on the show, Ed. So I'm going to take a minute to introduce you to our listeners. Guys, on the show today, we have Ed Thompson. And Ed is the founder and CEO of Optimize, the leading neuroinclusion training company whose mission is to help organizations embrace and leverage every type of thinker. Ed was born and raised in London and educated at the University of Oxford. He and his company have been featured by outlets including LinkedIn, the BBC, People Management Magazine, and HR.com, and the Financial Times. And my favorite fact is that we share a common state. You live in Arvada, uh, Ed, really close to me here in Denver. I love that. We do. My accent doesn't match the state, but I'm a proud <laughs> Colorado resident. Yes, I love it. Fantastic. So I'm really glad to have you here on the show. This is a new topic, or it, to me, it's new. That's cropping up. I'm, I'm reading about it here and there. So let's just start with a clear definition. Ed, what is neurodiversity in your words? Yes, and it's really important to, to start there. Neurodiversity is a fact of humanity in the same way that biodiversity is a fact of the natural world. Uh, it means that people have different brains. People's brains are wired differently. You can't go to a museum and see the normal brain 
it doesn't exist. Everyone's brain is different. That's what neurodiversity means. That means that at work, we're all processing uh, sensory inputs, uh, whether, you know, sound, noise, and so on differently. Our experience is different. Um, and we have different work preferences as a result. Some people within that human spectrum identify as being neurodivergent, yes. such as autistic people, dyslexic people, ADHDs, and so on, having a, a common set of traits that are in in a whole, you know, different from those of the overall majority. And those people can have particularly strong uh, strengths at work, but also strong preferences too. When we ignore neurodiversity, as we as humans have done for tens of thousands of years, we can uh, serve to unintentionally marginalize and disadvantage people who yes. think in different ways. Oh, I love it. It's a breath of fresh air to me that we're finally starting to put a name to this concept. And, you know, I'm seeing this on LinkedIn. I see people do put on their profiles sometimes neurodivergent. I just saw that today in LinkedIn. And it's just so refreshing. And it's kind of a relief right? that we're finally recognizing we do think in different ways. And there's massive value there for organizations if we can recognize it. So when did this just a little timeline, when did this start to become like when did society, at least in the U.S., start to pay attention to this? Yeah, it's a great question because, of course, now neurodiversity in the workplace is seen as a sort of another diversity and inclusion right. bucket, if you like. And yet diversity and inclusion began in the 1960s with the Civil Rights Act and so on. The first employee resource group was in 1964, African-Americans at Xerox. It wasn't until 30 or so years after that that the very term neurodiversity was coined, you know, even in society. And at the time, uh, it was really, you know, internet message boards, the kind of nascent internet and neurodivergent people connecting on those uh, message boards and discussing the extent to which, you know, society had misunderstood and, and marginalized them and, and coming up with this idea of, of neurodiversity being a better conceptualization of some of these brain differences yes. than the purely medical framing of such differences, which of course has had many benefits in terms of uh, support uh, and so on, but has also framed these differences purely in the negative. And we look at some of the great business people of our time, mm -hmm. Richard Branson, Barbara Corcoran, Elon Musk, and so on. We can't possibly see these uh, differences as simply uh, hindrances and of course neither do they so that's where that movement has 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 come and i think you've got that societal uh, slow sort of societal development of, of consciousness i think social media has amplified voices of people saying look i'm neurodivergent and you know this is yes it's a challenge but it's significantly a challenge because you all don't know how to include and, and understand me yeah um, and in the business world you had what were really initially in the early 2000s um, what they call disability hiring programs so you know how do we go and hire people we value but we don't think we do a good job of hiring mm. they included uh, some neurodivergent professionals i think people started recognizing the particular skills of of that group and then to answer your question it was really in the sort of mid 2010s with tech of course booming and all okay. these tech companies looking for the same talent that they right. thought well how do we hire, you know, why don't we try and hire, say, autistic 
you know, tech folks for, for those roles. And then it's really just sort of ballooned from there. Okay. So really in the mid 2010s, that makes total sense with the tech boom. And we see these neurodiversities emerging along with founders, right? In the minds of founders. Um, and we see there's something special there. I love it. And it's no longer the ADHD or the autism as being like a negative word. There's a new word for it. And that is powerful. Have you seen Ed? Um, well, first of all, like what countries are adopting? What business cultures I guess the U.S. is probably adopting this quickly. Have you seen around the world other cultures adopting this concept of neurodiversity and kind of reframing this and using it as an advantage in this way? Yeah, the U.S. is, is an interesting one because the U.S. is, in a sense, good and bad, as it always is on, on every topic. It's mm -hmm. the place where I think some of the first programs were born, and that's to the U.S.'s credit that there are, I think, people here, businesses that are prepared to take a risk, take a need, you know, try something new. Um, but I think the U.S. has actually been slower to adopt this yeah. uh, than other places. I think there's a a reticence to talk about mental health here. There's a there's a sort of concern around the medical model and language and so on. Um, and I think you've got a big spectrum in terms of how much inclusion really matters to, to firms in this country. Um, you, mm -hmm. I think Europe has probably been a, a, a bigger driver, not necessarily the originator, but countries like my country, the UK, like the Netherlands, I think, you know, those are places that are much smaller than the US. Right. I think once you get a kind of national dialogue, look, in my country, a lot of the businesses are in the same city. You know, I went to talk yeah. to a lot of recruiters about this and they will, you know, they will know each other because they will work around the corner. So you can get that traction uh, okay. quite quickly. Um, what's interesting beyond that is that my recent book, A Hidden Force, starts with a story of a French company, Ubisoft, who people, your listeners may know as the games company behind the Assassin's Creed and Prince of Persia franchises. So, you know, there are other countries in Europe as well. And I know India has a, a, an embryonic movement here. We've done some work as well with um, some big tech companies in uh, in Asia. Amazing. And that's interesting because you get some quite interesting cultural clashes, if you like, between the cultural expectations in the country. Oh my God. Countries where, in some cases, there isn't equality legislation and there isn't this norm that we now starting to have in the US, UK, where people, as you say on LinkedIn, say, look, I'm your intelligent. But you have the corporate goals, the corporate language, the corporate uh, ethics and ethos that are kind of you know interplaying with that. And that can be quite interesting. That is fascinating, right? So you have the corporations willing to adopt it, excited about it, especially in tech, I'm sure. And then the government really lagging behind. Whereas in the US, you've had these programs, at least in diversity for a long time, but there's still a real stigma. You know, it makes me think I was in the gym the other day. Um, I do a lot of Orange Theory and they're this month they're doing a, a challenge around kind of mental health and physical health together. And I remember the teacher saying, I don't like to call it mental health. I like to call it brain health. I'm like, oh, my gosh, like there's a real stigma around saying mental health. What is wrong with saying this is mental health month? We're taking care of our, our minds. So that's just kind of to your point. Let's get into, so I wish we had a little bit more time to talk about 
the adoption right around the world. But I think some of our listeners, because they're global professionals, they, they may want actionable takeaways on this. I'm really curious what your advice could be for executives or managers working in an international company. How could they leverage this? How could they build teams considering neurodiversity? What does it look like? Do you have a few tips for us today, Ed? I do, I do. And there's, I think there's a lot that uh, people can do to help bring the topic to their organization. So I would say, you know, if you learn about this topic and you believe it's important to the organization, you don't be afraid to, yeah. to, to start conversations, talk to HR. You know, is there a is there a disability group that you can connect with? Perhaps there's a, a neurodiversity element to that. We've worked with companies around the world. We've never worked with a company that wasn't doing it for the first time. Oh, interesting. Every time. Fascinating. Yeah. And every time it's been people in the business who have said that is just so important to us, obviously, that we can't ultimately ignore it. And somebody has got the got the wheels turning. So that that that's sort of not my answer, but I wanted to say that first. Let's think about, you know, a manager, say a leader, one of your listeners in a in, in a team, you know, what are things you can just do sort of day to day? The first is I'm going to say talk about it. And actually, this is a bit of a misnomer because what you can do is you can surface your own preferences, the preferences of your own brain wiring and thinking style within the context of your team and your direct reports. You don't need to, so don't worry, you don't need to be an expert in terms of different uh, medical diagnostic labels. Right. Um, you can do this regardless of your own, what we call neuro identity. But okay. What you know as a manager is you know your team don't necessarily like to communicate in the same way because they have different brains. They don't necessarily like to problem solve in the same way. Right. If you're treating them as if they do, that's probably not the best management. So just by saying, look, here's how I like to give instruction. Is that how you like to mm. receive them? Here's how I like to problem solve. I like all getting on a call or I like us all getting in front of the whiteboard. But Look, that's how my brain works. I recognize that might not be how yours works. We can start having these conversations. We don't need to be, again, diagnosing each other or, you know, waving medical reports to occupational health <laughs> to be able to, you know, embed that in our team, just that okay. uh, sensitivity. So that would be that would be the first. Yes. Very powerful, right? So the manager or the leader, the owner of the organization, CEO sets the tone. And when he or she decides to say, this is how my brain works, this is how I think, this is how I am neurodivergent, that sets an incredible trend in your company, opens things up. So for our listeners today, guys, don't shy away from going ahead and self-disclosing in this way. But one follow-up question there, Ed. So the term neurodiversity, is it reserved for things like ADHD and autism? Or is it okay to use that term if maybe you just think kind of differently. You know that you process differently. You don't necessarily have one of those situations going on. I just, that's my, my, my question. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good, good question. Neurodiversity, again, technically means we all have different brains. So technically, we all think differently. Uh, but there is a sort of shorthand of neurodiversity and thinking differently, being the 20% or so of people who consider themselves neurodivergent okay. often through you know a medical diagnosis and the associated kind of identity of of being part of of, okay. of that particular demographic so i think you wouldn't in this uh, world you wouldn't necessarily consider it as disclosing unless you had a 
particular neuroidentity that wasn't what we call neurotypical. Uh, right. But what you could do uh, is you could say, look, regardless of you know my own neuroidentity, wouldn't even need to to flag it whether you consider right. yourself a neurotypical or you consider yourself neurodivergent. I'm quite a good example. In fact, I had a major brain injury. Oh. Some of our subject matter experts would consider me neurodivergent. Some wouldn't. Now, if I'm working in a team, I think, well, it doesn't matter about that. In my case, yeah. some people, that's a very strong identity. In my case, it's not. What I want you to know about is, look, here's how I like to work, organize my work, communicate, problem solve, and so on. But I okay. recognize that's not necessarily neurodivergent. How you do. And I don't yeah. need yeah. you to, to, if you want to disclose to me and say, look, I'm so glad we're having this conversation and actually I'm autistic and I have really strong preferences on how stuff is formatted or yeah. great. And we've started that conversation, but I'm not doing it to, to draw right. that out of you. I'm doing it yes. so that you have a safe space to communicate some of those preferences. I love it. That makes total sense. That makes total sense. Yeah. So opening up this topic as a leader, setting a standard um, whether you are technically neurodivergent, it doesn't matter. It's about how you like to process information and you're sharing that. Okay, right. excellent. So what would be your second tip about how managers and executives can set the tone in an organization? What can they do? Yeah, so the second one is really, it sounds trite, I think it's really important and it's living the values. Uh, yeah. A lot of the time we find with uh, neurodivergent people in our focus groups, professionals, that they say that the story, the message that they were told in onboarding is not the reality on the ground. Mm -hmm. uh, I think if you look at um, organizations, often the values are great, right? They're really, they're really strong values. But I think there's a, another question of the extent to which those are right. Those are being lived. So, look, you don't have to be a, you know, a police officer in terms of culture. But I think, you know, calling out uh, where you have instances uh, of a lack of psychological safety and so on, people interrupting or, or, or whatever demeaning behavior, uh, snap judgments, and so on. I think just, you know, trying to lead on that front, and and that could be that could be modeling even, you know, well-being and modeling, taking breaks, uh, you know, modeling, taking vacation. I think that's just really important as, as a leader. Mm. Um, that, that might be sort of a more boring answer than people were looking for. But I think, you know, in your organization, you probably have some values. Are you really living to those values? Because right. I suspect you will drive greater neuroinclusion, as we call it, yeah. by doing so. And it's important because people may not think about, you mentioned interrupting, right? If I'm working on a team with someone who's neurodivergent or assuming everyone is in their own way, you know, some people really respond negatively to that interrupting, right? Being interrupted. And we may not realize that. And so being able to make sure those values are not just in that binder, thrown in that desk, right? That we read through on day one and don't review ever, making sure it comes out into real life. So key. So good. Um, what would be yeah, your third? Yeah, sorry, go ahead. Just ben. to build off that one. I mean, I think, look, comfort at work is a, is a big one. And we have this, I think, very strange dynamic that, you know, everyone used to work in offices and apparently nobody cared if anyone was comfortable. And then as soon as we have the <laughs> pandemic and everybody goes home, it's like, oh gosh, are you okay? You know, right, but, right. but I think that that comfort at work and, you know, wanting people to be themselves and feel comfortable and so on. Like, what are you doing about it? And I think that that's sort of my bugbear with a lot of business in general. You know, we talk about innovation and we you know we throw in R&D dollars. It's actually making, you know, making a difference. So some of the organizations uh, we've, uh, you know, spoken to that 
uh, hire a lot of neurodivergent people. They really obsess about comfort at work. You know, mm-hmm. constant check-ins. Do you feel? Do you, do you have what you need? You know, do you, do you feel comfortable? That's if that's what you want from your team. Don't just sort of hope it's there. You know, yeah. engage and 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 actually show people that you care. I love it. So good. So good. So yeah. being true to what you've said your company stands for and how things go in your company, making sure they really happen. What would be the third two so, thing that our listeners need to keep in mind if they are in that management or leadership position? Yes, you mentioned hiring. And I think that's always uh, an important piece of leadership. And I like to think of, of leadership, not just, you know, setting the vision and the tone and so on, but actually team building. Uh, and I think it's an interesting thing for, for for us. We've seen managers say, oh, I don't know much about neurodiversity. I'm sure what it's got to do with me. But then you say, do you value diversity of thought in your team and different perspectives? They say, yes, that's exactly what I know I need. And I don't know how to get more of it. Mm-hmm. So you look at how neurodivergent people can be excluded in hiring processes. And we have you know multiple friction points all the way through from organizations just simply not saying that they value different perspectives and so on. But a lot of this can fall on the hiring manager. So mm-hmm. as a hiring manager, what I would say is, and my sort of you know bullet point here is kind of hire consciously, really think about the skills uh, and attributes that you need for the role. And again, that might seem patronizing, but I think a lot of the time in busy organizations, you know, we lose Steve and we think, well, let's just get another Steve. Let's ask Steve, Steve right. mates that can come. Yeah. You know, and actually, if we want to build a team of people who, who who think differently, I'm just not sure that that's the the way to do it. So, you know, there's 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 a lot of stuff these days around intentional hiring, intentional recruitment. You know, not just relying on kind of rapport whether we get on, but but actually really thinking about you know what do we actually need somebody to be good at here. And then how are we going to assess them? And I want to flag interviews specifically because sometimes people will think, oh, we we can't possibly use interviews for neurodivergent people because, you know, they're not sociable. That's, you know, a a generalization. Uh, Some neurodivergent people enjoy interviews, uh, some don't. But it's a good case study because interviews, obviously, to some extent, are a test of, uh, you know, thinking on your feet, um, social competence and so on. So, you know, to what extent is that something we're testing? If that's a role where that's really important, let's test it using interviews. But if that's a role where that's less important, let's not overweight the interview part. Mm. Let's find ways to actually test somebody's or, you know, previous work or, or give them some work trials and so on. Right. Because otherwise, you know, we're going to get, you know, the 10 best people at interviewing, sure. not necessarily the, the 10 best people. I love that. That's such a good point. So creating maybe different workflows around the entire interviewing process that doesn't include the same steps and makes sense for the role and maybe for people who are applying for that job. I love that. That's so good. And I feel like we need to have you on another time to help us from the perspective of people applying for jobs, how, you know, going about framing things and how to present yourself um, in a way that allows the organization to see the benefits and the value there. But we don't have time for it today, Ed. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, all right. So let's finish up today. Can you let us know about your new book that is out and where our listeners could find find that book? Tell us about it. Absolutely. So my book is called A Hidden Force, Unlocking the Potential of Neurodiversity at Work. It really reflects my own journey in this space. Look, you know, eight, 10 years ago, <clears throat> I'd never heard the term either. 
And now I believe it's, you know, the most important, if you like, innovation topic in, in, in business yeah. uh, today. I had multiple aha and wow moments along that journey. You know, I wanted to share. I met uh, a ton of fascinating people from, uh, you know, corporate program builders to neurodivergent entrepreneurs and so on whose, whose stories I wanted to share. Um, beginning of the pandemic, I thought, well, perhaps I have the time now to do that. And of course, you think it's going to take six months, but it takes three years. Oh, I'm sure. So, you know, three <laughs> years later, uh, here it is. Well, congratulations. And tell us the name of the book again so that we can, where can we get it? Where, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, the book is called A Hidden Force, Unlocking the Potential of Neurodiversity at Work. It's available on Amazon and other online retailers. And if you want to know a little bit more about it, ahiddenforce.com. Excellent. Well. Excellent. So I would encourage our listeners to go over and check out that book. So inspiring. And it's based on, you know, starts with your story, right? Those are always the most powerful kind of uh, discoveries when it starts with the, with the story of the author. I love it. So good. Well, thank you, Ed, for coming on the show today. We really appreciate it and hope to have you on again another time to take this concept from another angle. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thanks for listening to All Ears English. Would you like to know your English level? Take our two-minute quiz. Go to allearsenglish.com forward slash fluency score. And if you believe in connection, not perfection, then hit subscribe now to make sure you don't miss anything. See you next time.